Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I want to invite you to the 2021 Small Church Leadership Conference. The theme is Climb. This is for anyone who wants to grow, who's leading a small ministry or small church, and who desires to get inspired and get encouraged coming out of COVID. This is the second conference that we've had. The first one we entitled Look Up. but This one is called Climb. It's December 2nd through 5th, 2021, December 2nd through 5th of this year in Dallas, Texas. We're staying at the Marriott Las Colinas. We've arranged hotel prices of $109 per night. Early registration is $125 until June 30th. Then it goes up to $150 until August 31st. And after that, it'll be $175. So please, you don't want to miss this event. It's going to be so inspiring, so encouraging, so equipping. You can register today at robskinner.com and look for the Climb Conference tab. That's robskinner.com forward slash climb dash conference. I look forward to seeing you in Dallas in December of 2021. It's Thursday, July 8th, and I am on a road trip from San Diego to Boston. I'm calling it Coast to Coast for Climb. And I'm excited about taking this road trip. This has been a bucket list item for since I was 12 years old. And also to promote the Climb Conference, which is a conference built for small church leaders, small ministry leaders, and those wanting to do missionary work. Anyone interested in multiplying disciples, leaders, and churches. And on my road trip today, I find myself in Albuquerque, New Mexico with Josh and Stacy Peterson. And we are in their dining room uh, having a discussion about mission planting. And I'm excited to talk about what they're doing in their state of New Mexico. Josh and Stacy, welcome to the program. Thanks, Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Good to be with you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for letting me crash at your place last night. You're welcome. You're always welcome. (laughs) I I got my bike fixed yesterday, and I was really wavering on whether I wanted to get on it in the heat. It was like 107 in Tucson. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my poor wife had to just coax me. She had to do the the Rocky and Adrian talk. You know, like, (laughs) you can do this. (laughs) (laughs) And I got on the bike and got here around midnight. And thank you for being here when I I got here, Josh. That was so awesome. That was good to see you. Well, I want to start by asking, how did you guys become Christians? So I became a disciple in 1994 at Santa Barbara City College. Um, It's... It, it, it was an amazing experience because I was uh, kind of sick of the party scene. That's why I moved there and um, just started really thinking about my purpose in life and why God had me here. And uh, in one week, I was met four times by four different disciples. <laughs> and uh, I showed up at church that weekend and they were all there. And I kind of figured it out really quickly that this is what this church was about. And um, immediately started studying the Bible and a couple of weeks got baptized. Wow. Yeah. Um, my story is similar. I was met in 1992, uh, first day of school, freshman in college by the campus leader. And, um, she invited me out and then never called me, but I don't know why I made her feel guilty about that. I didn't want to go to church, although I did go to Cal State Fullerton cause I was looking for starting over new, but starting over with a new party. Um, 
but yet God was looking for me. So I went to church um, and I loved it. It was the first time I had ever gone to church where I felt like the lesson made sense Mm -hmm. and studied the Bible reluctantly, but I really enjoyed the Bible studies too. And it took me about six weeks before uh, I was baptized, October of 1992. Wow, at Cal State Fullerton. At Cal State Fullerton, Southern California. Yep. Okay. So you're up at Santa, Santa Barbara Community College. Mm-hmm. Nice place, obviously. Yeah. yeah. How did you guys meet? How did, how did you guys get together? So that's a great story. Um, back, <laughs> it might be too long for this podcast. Back in the, <laughs> back in the 90s, uh, all of our LA campus ministries would meet uh, in Palm Springs uh, at least once a year for a campus conference. And uh, so we drove out from, at the time I was in San Luis Obispo, leading the church. And and Stacy was in Orange County and, um, you know, big crush of students there. And I can remember walking in and seeing her for the first time. But I saw her in the lobby on the pay phones calling to see if her visitor was coming because her visitor <laughs> flaked out. Wow. And so she was a vision of beauty there. Oh, and yeah. uh, <laughs> and so I kind of I kind of just looked for her all weekend. And finally, uh, at the very end, got the courage to ask her on a date um, in the lobby right as we were leaving. Um, which she was a little skeptical about because we live four hours apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we ended up going on a date a couple months later. Wow. That yeah, I, that wasn't the best retreat for me spiritually. Not that it wasn't a great spiritual retreat. It was. I wasn't in a great spiritual place. <laughs> um, so I think I was wrestling with some deep, hard issues about dating, about thinking that there would ever be someone for me. And then I met Josh. Mm-hmm. And yes, I was skeptical. But he called. And we did go on a date. Okay, let's just take a little side detour on that because I think there's a lot of people that feel that same way. Like, mm. is there ever going to be the right person for me? Yeah. Any advice for getting through those times when you've been in the kingdom for a while, mm-hmm. have not found Mr. or Mrs. Wright, mm-hmm. it's tough to keep up the hopes. Yeah, I think at that point, my heart was not in a great place. I was looking for me. I wanted for me, and I didn't want to give to somebody else. You know, when you date or get married, it's not about you. It's about giving and helping the other person. And if both people have that mentality, it's a great relationship. But I wanted for me. And so um, it took me probably about a year to get the right heart and realize that I'm really selfish and that what I was looking for was just very selfish. I needed to have the attitude of serving and loving without getting in return, like giving without expectation. And I think when my heart changed, my mindset changed that, um, you know, I mean, God provided and I don't, I can't, you know, I can't say that he always will, but I think my heart had a lot to do with it. Right. Um, and I think it's, that served us well it served me well it served god well it served both of us well in the marriage as well so i don't know if that no, answers your great. question but now, josh well, one thing that we've talked about in the past is the need for younger leaders mm-hmm. people planting churches in their 20s and that when we were younger that happened and that specifically happened with you mm-hmm. um, mm. i always have an affinity because i know you're from northern california originally too i was uh I think Folsom is yeah. that right? Folsom near Sacramento. That's right. But you have a story. You led a church pretty young. Can you can you give us the highlights of that? 
Yeah, I was, uh, you know, converted in, like I said, in December of 94, I was transferring out of community college to a university. I was playing soccer. That was kind of my major. So <laughs> I, I was, um, I had applied to these schools before I became a disciple and every place I applied at that time didn't have a, a church, uh, in our fellowship. And so I had to count the cost. Um, it was really hard at that time. I got accepted to all the schools I applied to. Um, and I was planning on going to San Luis Obispo. Um, it's where I'd always wanted to go. And, uh, you know, basically sat down with the brothers and, and talked about it. And it, it would not have been a good spiritual decision for me to go there. I had old friends there that were part of my old lifestyle. I, I just wouldn't have done well spiritually. And so I counted the cost and decided to sit out another year of school and apply to UC Santa Barbara. And in the meantime, what I didn't know is I had, you know, I traveled to see my sister up in San Francisco, took her out to church and uh, talked to some of the leaders up there. And they were planning on planting the church that summer. And I had no idea. And so I came back thrilled. You're not going to believe it. There's going to be a church. And, um, and um, you know, people just started talking about, oh, let's talk about the plant, planting and who's going and um, came back to me about a week later and said, Hey, look, uh, would you be open to leading the church? So at eight months old, spiritually, <laughs> hmm. uh, me and eight other wide eyed disciples <laughs> went to San, moved to San Luis Obispo. Um, it was three students and it was six singles and wow. we started a house church and that first service in September, we had uh, nine of us had 23 in attendance, oh which was, gosh. um, not even what we were praying for even bigger things, but right. it's pretty amazing to think about that now. And yeah. now how old were you at the time? I was 22 years old. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was, I just turned 22. That's phenomenal. Yeah. How did it go? How was that first year? The first year was great. We uh, doubled in number. Um, and then, um, after probably another year that, that first kind of crop of fruit, half of the, the guys fell away. And, and that was really challenging. Um, but after three years, the church was 45. Wow. And then uh, I moved to go down south to L.A. And uh, Kip and Bethany Harms moved there. And in two more years, it was 120. So it really exploded. But I learned a lot in those early years of growing, uh, dreaming, seeing disappointments. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, it, it, it planted a seed in my heart um, because we we went from you know we had four men and five women we doubled and then we had four men and 10 women <laughs> and that felt really imbalanced and so i think from that point on it, it just planted a seed in my heart of really how to how to help men you know be faithful and do right. do well spiritually yeah. Right. yeah well that's something I, i've always respected about you josh is you've always built some great men's ministries and, and typically in churches regardless of denomination churches can be heavily uh, women-centered or really having a lot much larger women population mm -hmm. and if a church a large church is 60 40 women most leaders consider that pretty good right um, mm. but it's a it's a huge issue and something is super important but i love how you're very geared towards that you've raised up some amazing young men on campus and in your church and sent them out what do you do what's your mindset and how have you built the, this great men's ministries um, well, thanks. It's humbling because I think um, that experience in San Luis Obispo, plus some of my own challenges in my own life, have have helped me to see that there's a need, but also that 
even through some of my challenges, my my greatest struggles could potentially be my greatest gift to others. And um, I'm a child of divorce, um, grew up um, very religious, uh, but just kind of saw that fall apart. And so it really made me question God and faith. And I think um, we live now in a, a very fatherless generation. And, and so um, as I... Even, even as a disciple, even in the ministry, really, really struggled with some some strong sin issues, purity issues, um, in times of disappointment in the ministry, and I didn't understand it. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Um, I spent some time going to counseling. Um, I got to see an amazing counselor who happens to be a brother uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, for a couple of years, just spent some real time working on my heart, understanding my background, where I come from, and um, coming out of that time, I was just like, wow, I learned so much about myself. And I was, I was just so much more secure at much better marriage as a mm -hmm. result. And as I started to talk to men, just about the things I was going through, just every single man seemed to relate. Mm -hmm. And, um, I thought, man, I mean, everyone needs this. I mean, everybody, like I need a doctor for every area of my life, not just my psyche, but my <laughs> golf swing. So, so I, I just, and there's a stigma around that even, I think still to this day of, of needing counseling or needing help. And, and I felt that. So I've really taken some time to focus in the last 10 years on men's groups that um, focus on a couple of specific books and um, these are just the ones that help me and that really focus on, on digging in and understanding the deep waters of the heart. Um, like Proverbs 25 talks about, you know, um, um, there's deep waters, but men of understanding can draw out what's in there. And I think men are notoriously uh, labeled superficial. I don't think it's true. I think that they act superficially, but, but there's a lot in there. And so I needed help drawing out those deep waters of my heart. Um, I've seen many, many men benefit from having these groups where we help each other draw out the deep waters of our hearts. And what I found is that, at least for me personally, when I'm really connected intimately with brothers, I really don't struggle with the sins that I struggled with then. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just, I, I feel so much more faithful, empowered, connected. Um, and seeing other brothers experience that and even work through some of the trauma of their past, the difficulties of divorce or other issues, um, they're more faithful, you know, they have more vision. Um, and so we've seen that we've seen, um, a lot of men be helped through that. It, it can kind of sound like, you know, navel gazing or self-help, but it really is focused on God, faith, and then turning around and being able to help other men out of that pit. And I think that's probably been, um, the long-term fruit of it is seeing the men's ministry continue to grow. I also think that, uh, you know, another thing is just, we do focus on preaching to the men here. Um, I, I use a lot of man friendly analogies and, 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 you know, the system Sisters kind of understand that, which I appreciate. They give me the levity to do it um, because they understand, you know, they see like with, with a healthy family, there has to be a healthy father and in a healthy church, we want to have healthy men. And so um, they put up with some of my sports analogies and different <laughs> things I talk about. Um, hey, it, some of the sisters like the sports. Yeah, no, I know. I, I was I was reminded of that this yes. week when a sister called me and said, hey, I like baseball. I feel a little bit, you know put off by what you're saying. I said, I'm so sorry. You're right. You know, I'm not just speaking to the men here. So 
those are some of the things that we've done and are doing. Um, and it's, it's cool to see at Albuquerque. We have about 55 men and 60 women um, here in the church. That's and awesome. there's always been a few more men than, or women than men. You know, that's that's, uh, that's kind of been the way it is. But it's 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 fairly balanced. And huh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been encouraging. Stacy, how does that make you feel? Because his focus on men, I mean, does that make you feel put off or? No, not at all. Um, I think when he shared about stuff he had gone through in his past and, um, you know, obviously that was a strain on our relationship, on the marriage, but watching him work through it and growing and really coming out on the other side so, so much more faithful, secure, um, it was really encouraging for me, for our marriage, for our family, but also just faith building to see someone really dig down deep and change some of the most difficult parts of ourselves. And so, um, yeah, I, I really like it. I mean, I'm not a huge sports fan. If you ask me my favorite (laughs) team, I'll, I'm, my favorite team is Josh's favorite team, but that's just me that, um, but I really, I love, I love that, um, I think wives, when they see their husbands do well, when, when they, when the husbands are excited about church, when they're rallying the family to get to church, when they're excited about those things, everyone is happy. That's right. It, it really is, is true. And, you know, all the sisters that want to bring their male coworkers to church, I, they're excited that there's a healthy men's ministry to, to bring them to and to reach out and to their dads and uncles and, you know, brothers. So, so I, I really, I love it. And it's not, I don't want people listening to think it's all men focused and men heavy. I mean, I think Josh and I, I will include myself. We do a good job of really um, lifting up the the women, and it's not women oppressive at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think that most of the women, including myself, feel like we have a, a voice and a strong voice and a valuable voice um, to the church. So that's great. I'm happy about it, and I've learned a lot through it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, learned a lot about men. <laughs> I'm raising two boys, uh, so I've learned a lot about them and learned a lot about myself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Now, what what are some of those resources you're mentioning that you, you've been using? You know, I started with the thing that first kind of triggered um, me was was reading Why Men Hate Going to Church. I mean, that book just yeah. resonated with me. And it also made me fearful, like it scared me. Oh, my gosh, this is the reality of what men experience in most churches today. And... Um, if, if there's legitimate guys out there seeking, and there always is, in, and they come to that, they're going to be either put off by it or feel like they can't really connect. Um, and so uh, in, in my own personal journey, um, I read a book called Iron John, which is a really odd book. I mean, it's, it's very artistic <laughs> and poetic. And I mean, I was a philosophy major in college, so I like that kind of stuff. It doesn't connect with everyone. But with some men, it really connects. And I tend to use that book um, with our men's groups. Um, um, Eldridge's book, um, Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart. And then we, we make that kind of required reading in advance, but then we read the follow up book, uh, The Way of the Wild Heart. I think he calls it Father by God, or he's changed the name of it now in, the, in its next version. But it just talks about the six stages of manhood. 
And again, it really educates men. I think a lot of men who feel things and experience things, but don't have a name for it or just don't understand it. And they see these phases of manhood and there's other ones out there. Those, those aren't the only ones, but, um, super, super helpful. There, there's a, there's a good science book, um, kind of a psychology study of men called silent sons. And, um, I'm not real big into these that was my favorite. I've read these books too. <laughs> wow. Not my favorite um, to study like a lot of stats and, and that kind of thing. But it was it was a really good, um, it's probably one of the better books I've read like that, that, that just had a lot of statistics and science behind um, men's issues and challenges. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Coming out of COVID, what are you guys excited about? Well, I think... Um, we're excited about <laughs> being together. We had our first congregational midweek together last night. Oh my gosh. Um, I cried. First, first time being back together. First time. Yes. Yeah. Inside, yeah. indoors. Yeah. Yes. No, I just, I, people coming in, I was like crying, tearing up. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is really happening. Very exciting. Yeah. And we had our, um, we have a summer internship program happening right now. It's actually in uh, the church we planted a couple of years ago in Santa Fe and uh, Los Alamos, which is northern New Mexico, geographically from us. And uh, we hired eight interns for the summer from all over the country to come to Santa Fe to be with a church of 20 people and um, just encourage the, the primary goal of this was different from any internship we've done. We've done a number of campus ones in the past, but this year it was to really teach, train, and encourage the children in the church. Um, I mean, obviously it's an isolated community with, with a few disciples and the kids don't get what a lot of our kids get in our churches. And so mm -hmm. they really wanted that. Of course, it includes a lot of outreach, evangelism, Bible talks, and these kinds of things. Um, but we had the, the interns down to be at our first midweek so that our members could just hear what's happening up um, up there and, and see what their money, you know, part of our special missions went to this program, see what their money is doing. And um, we really think that's important. And so um, seeing the life, I mean, the church was not doing, it's not doing poorly, but seeing an infusion of eight college students in a church mm -hmm. of 20 people and their children. And then each week we send a small group up um, to have church with them. To, to have that infusion of energy and faith and enthusiasm and excitement has been absolutely amazing. The interns have done a great job. Yeah. Um, and it's gotten us thinking as we've come out of COVID, getting to answer your question finally here is, how are we going to reach, um, you know, these other communities? I think the model that we've used in the past, Stacey and I, is, is more of a campus, you know, planting model. But Santa Fe doesn't have a campus. so it, Most of New Mexico doesn't have yeah. a campus. <laughs> in fact, really, the communities that we're trying to reach now in our state are 50,000 people or less. Right. Um, but these are places where disciples have families. They're right. praying for their grandparents right. to become Christians. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and at the rate we're planting churches, it's just not going to do the job. I mean, I, I feel a, a lot of times just wholly inadequate or even like a failure at times. Like, how are we going to get this church off the ground, but then go to the next places? I think in COVID with the, 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 the opportunity to have online things in Zoom, I think what we've seen and I, I've heard kind of rumblings of this in different places. Um, people have moved. Um, out of big cities in this time and they've moved to some places that don't have maybe thriving churches but they still want to be a part of our fellowship I think in the past I kind of bristled against that I mean it was a hard thing to try to figure out right 
Um, I'm wondering now if God isn't trying to open a door for that for us. Um, Mm -hmm. We have in places and communities that probably people have never heard of, (laughs) places like Lovington, New Mexico, and Clovis, New Mexico, and Crown Point, which is part of the Navajo Nation, um, Taos. We now have couples living in these places, and and they're connected relationally, and and they even give financially, and some of them drive to um, churches that are two hours away. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a very difficult thing. And as I've started to talk to them, um, the thing that they're saying is the one thing that doesn't work is evangelism. They have a really hard time bringing their friends two hours from Lovington to Lubbock or from Taos <laughs> to Los Alamos. Right. They're reaching out. They, you know, they're, they're trying, but it's, it's just not working. So we're now dreaming about maybe starting more of a, 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 a New Mexico Church of Christ focus, where we have a New Mexico Church of Christ in every city mm-hmm. um, around our state. And that affiliation could be just with their city. You know, we have one in Albuquerque and they have one in Santa Fe and then one in Los Alamos. But but these, these outpost ministries is what we're calling them are now forming small groups of their own with people who are in the same life stage, trying to figure this thing out. They're connected relationally and receiving discipling and, and, and the connection that they need. But we we, we see this as an opportunity maybe start where we started one church in the last eight years of being here. We've only planted one church um, from Albuquerque. We've put some people in the ministry, which has been great. But but when we just look at where people are now, we have the potential to start five new churches in the next year. Wow. If we can build this right and figure it out. And so that to me seems like a possibility. I don't yeah. know what's going to happen, but... But maybe this is the way to do it. And um, and so we're excited about that. We're excited about trying to figure it out. Um, it, 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 you know, there's just something about having vision like right. that, where exactly. you feel like you're coming out of a stuck place. Like, I don't know how else to do this. And this is, you know, this is taking a lot of time to, oh my gosh, maybe God's opening some doors and let's explore that and try to figure it out. That's thrilling. Yeah. Can I, I, I think something I appreciate too about Josh, and it's definitely my... Um, conviction is that there's something better than being the biggest. And so uh, oftentimes I think we want to build up our church and we need to grow and, and we do, but we talk about growing and sending and growing and sending. And I think that really part of our, our vision is, is to do that here in New Mexico and also the interns. I think it's really helped them to be a part of a non-campus ministry internship. They're seeing all aspects of the ministry. They're learning, oh, when you lead a church, you have to be responsible for the children's ministry and the worship's time and the Friday events. Like It's just giving them such a a bigger church perspective, which most of them, if not all, have shared they have never done before. And so not only is it helping our church in northern New Mexico, but it's really... Um, giving them an education and a new perspective. So it's really been, it's been fantastic. We, we weren't sure exactly how yeah. it was going to work out. <laughs> We're like, hmm, let's, well, let's give it a shot. Right. But I really think that um, they're, they're learning different things. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I'm excited I, about that. Yeah. <laughs> I think going back to what Stacey was saying about there's something better than being the biggest. You know, we've 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 always had the conviction we need to raise up the next generation. I think the challenge for us in a, in a church our size is we we don't we can't put everybody in the ministry we raise up, and so we have a difficult decision to make. If someone can go in the ministry and we can't support them in the ministry, we need to send them. Mm-hmm. And so we've sent yeah. a number of students um, around the country. I mean, a, a sister that leads. Um, at the University of Missouri um, is from here. She was trained here. Um, the brother that was leading the campus ministry at Fort Collins, now he's in Cincinnati, um, was trained here. And I just share that not to say, look at what all the things we've done, but uh, there's a number of students like that, but we couldn't afford them. You know, we, we raised them up and then we couldn't keep them. And that's a hard thing to wrestle with yeah. because you want to keep them. You want to build up your situation. You want it to get bigger and better. Um, but 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 our conviction is we, we've got to continue to raise up and send out. And I think even sometimes I'll look on Disciples Today and see the, the church openings. Wow. And it hurts my heart. Like, <laughs> we've got to fill these things. We've got to train up the next I generation. I know it. Yeah. I, I, the, the guy who went to Fort Collins, I, I heard from another source that he did an amazing job there. And I had an intern who was from that campus ministry and said he just walked in and converted a ton of guys. Yeah. I mean, basically, he replicated what he saw right. here at the University of New Mexico and in, in the church here in Albuquerque, which is such a great testimony to your leadership mm. he you you uh, replicated yourself in this young man and, and totally turned around that campus ministry there in northern Colorado yeah yeah so he's an awesome guy pretty, yeah pretty amazing well let's talk a little bit more about this this small church planting how could that work how could you get five churches out in the next 10 years yeah, I think I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but it seems to me that people have come to accept like a, like online meetings and Zooms as part of life. Now, I think there's a lot of Zoom fatigue in the last year and a half, but I think that's changing. And so, for example, there's a there's a, a couple that I just met this month that moved to Taos from Los Angeles. And um, we have mutual friends and we're just sharing about, you know, they've been around for decades and they're just, they're an amazing couple yeah. and they have a great vision for their community. Um, and they've taken it upon themselves, their own decision. Nobody talked to them about it to drive an hour and a half to church each way um, to Los Alamos. They've been there every week. They're building relationships. Yeah. And I was like, hey, can I come to house and fly fish and stay at your house? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, yeah. come on up. So, um, so I'm thinking, well, this, these are couples with great hearts that are servants and hospitable and, and, and want to be disciples. And how can we help them be successful? You know, I think mm-hmm. that's the question we're asking. And and I don't know, one theory I have, and I've talked to, to, to some of the couples in these situations is, like, for example, a few years ago when, when our friends moved to Lovington, um, she, she took a, a job as a, a pharmacist. Um, it's very, very successful business. It's her family business. And then we had a couple move down to a place called Artesia. Nobody's going to know where these places are because they're so small and they're in the middle of nowhere. Um, and another one to Clovis. And so they're, they're within an hour or two of each other. And they tried to just have church in every city every week. They would rotate. And that was fine for their fellowship, but it just, it, it was... It was totally discouraging because they were trying to bring people along and it, right. and it wasn't working. Right. So I, I don't have all those answers yet, but they they experience these things. They know what it's like to be in these places and they're not going anywhere. <laughs> they're faithful. They're connected. They're calling. They're, 
and, and so I, I want to connect them together. There's the maturity within that group of people um, to be able to have a Zoom D time and stay connected and do well spiritually and, and continue to grow and, and have vision in that way. Um, I think also like a place, for example, Taos, probably most people have heard of it because it's a ski resort, but I think a lot of people would love to move places like that. Maybe later time in their life right. when they retire, yeah. um, you know, maybe there's business <laughs> okay. opportunities or something like that, that they, they would just not accept normally because, oh, you know, there's right. just not really, no it, church. maybe it's not going to be good for my kids spiritually right. or whatever. Right. Well, now, now they can, now there's an opportunity to do that. That's what we're seeing happen in Los Alamos. In Los Alamos, there was a couple that had been there for a long long time that was faithful that stuck it out that drove down to albuquerque for a long time when we planted the church in santa fe all of a sudden we started marketing it now there's a there's a brother that moved there he grew up in los alamos he's in virginia he just he was like they're finally in my hometown i can finally go back he found a job at the labs uh he and his wife moved back and they just they're they love it because it's this is a a, a, a small town it's not you know right tons of traffic and <laughs> they, they, they have great jobs and, um, and, and there's multiple couples that have done that now because it's available. So I just think it's a, it's a probably a combination of not unlike what you're doing, driving coast to coast to promote mm-hmm. climb, um, you know, us really getting out there and saying, Hey, you know, these are opportunities. These are needs. I think in our bigger churches, a lot of times people can, um, feel a little bit on the sidelines. Um, there's a lot of people, um, where do I serve? Right. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I love to sing, but I'm not that good. Right. You know, right. man, come to Los Alamos. Uh, we, we could, <laughs> we'd love you to sing and, and they get there and they see that and they feel used by God again. Yeah. It's like they're back in the game. That's right. They're inspired. Um, yeah. So, you know, any third string or fourth string disciples that are sitting out there right now, <laughs> right. God needs you, yeah. you know, right. in places like this. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. I mean, even if you can't play on the in the NBA, you could definitely be in the D League. That's right. And enjoy yourself. <laughs> and, yeah, and thrive. Oh, I know. Absolutely that's, thrive. That's, that's really interesting. Now, um, I want to go back a little bit to the whole kind of the model of church planting. In the past, it was always based on a campus, always centered around a campus. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. Like in Flagstaff, the Flagstaff planting, this is uh, last month, June of 2021. Right. We went up there and it was all reaching out in the community. Right. I don't think we shared our faith once directly on campus. Mm. And that was intentional because in the past, that was the focus is try to convert people on campus. Mm-hmm. But what happened is the church would dwindle away mm-hmm. because it was campus focused and then those people couldn't find jobs locally. Sure. But this time we've been going after professionals in the area and it's it seems to be working, mm. which I'm excited about. That's awesome. Um, any other ideas on just new ways of, of planting churches that way? Well, we've seen in Los Alamos, for example, it's 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 thirty thousand people maybe. Um, it's small, it's affluent. Mm-hmm. Um, the national laboratories there, that's, you know, what, go ahead. Well, something I was going to say is what is really encouraging and you can ask any mom is that if you love their kid, you've won them over. And so we have really exactly. done a lot fun kids stuff, yeah. uh, a lot of activities. I mean, what parent doesn't want their kid to be involved in a healthy group? 
not get into trouble, you know? And, um, you know, that happened in Los Alamos. We were at the park playing volleyball and there was a mom, single mom with two kids and we're like, come play with us. And everybody, you know, wasn't super competitive at that that's not what we were there for, but we encouraged her kids. We encouraged her. The kids had a blast, and I don't think she's missed a Sunday since. No, she's studying the Bible now. Yeah, and she's studying the Bible. And so I think, I don't know, I just feel like as a mom myself, if you, somebody, an adult, uh, a college student takes a vested interest in, in my child, I'm like, wow, thank you. Yes. Yes, yeah. sign me up. I'm there. <laughs> let's let's talk about that because one thing that stood out to me about my last visit here is you're both very intentional about raising your children. Mm. Uh, we had dinner together. I haven't seen this in decades where you pulled me aside afterwards and say, hey, what did you see with our family, mm. our kids? Mm-hmm. Got asked for input and your kids are great. You've got three mm. kids. Tell us a little bit, Stacy, about your philosophy of, of raising kids while doing the ministry. Because I think there's a lot of mothers out there like, can I do both? Yeah. Well, I grew up in a campus ministry where I watched the women not be able to do both. And um, I thought, wow, if that's what the ministry is, I can't do it because I can't sacrifice my children and their spirituality for the sake of the ministry of it's not a job, it's a calling, but you can't, I can't do that. And so I feel like we, Josh and I had to talk a lot about, can I do both? Um, I mean, I've watched parents struggle with their children not being faithful and it's heartbreaking. And I think you, parents can recover and they can still be faithful, but what what really builds your faith is, is watching your children love God. And so I feel like that's my most important disciple is right there, right in my own home. Those are my, that's my mission field. Um, now I'm not, life does not surround my center around my kids, right? Where it's not all about my kids. They're not the center of the earth. Jesus is the center of all of our lives. And so, um, I think it's a tricky balance. Um, you know, what is the, the, God first, my husband, my children, and then my ministry. And I've struggled through the years to keep that order the priority because sometimes the ministry calls louder than any other voice, but I have to constantly go back. And I just feel like that's the way God wants it. That is that is what I see in the scriptures, that God God has given me these children, and I'm their, I'm their only mom. So anyone can do other things things, you know, anyone can be in a Bible study, but, um, and my children need to see me in Bible studies and they need to see me sharing my faith Mm -hmm. and they need to see me sacrificing for God and God's kingdom. They need to see that, but they don't need to see it to the point where they're neglected. So, I, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I think that that's my conviction is that I, I'm not gonna, watch my children. I'm not going to sell out, you know, for the ministry on account of my kid, you know, at the sacrifice of my kids. And, um, Josh has a saying, what can you say it? What don't, don't yeah, well, it's, suck. It's one I heard from oh. somebody else. I borrowed a long <laughs> yeah, time ago. Help me out, buddy. <laughs> um, don't trade what's unique to you for what someone else can do. Mm-hmm. And what's unique to us is that, you know, God's given us our three kids. We're dad and mom. 
and mm-hmm. that's not unique to anybody else. It's mm-hmm. just unique to us. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and, and you know, and it, it, I think it calls us too to really focus on if the ministry is going to thrive and we're still going to be able to be a present with our kids that we're going to have to delegate, raise up, train, because the ministry can't suffer either. And so we've got to figure out that balance. And, and you know, sometimes I think we can swim the pendulum both ways. Yeah. Of, well, no, the ministry's, you know, we've got to do the ministry or no, we've got to raise our kids, but I think we can do both. Yeah. Um, but it's going to mean being really intentional about, you know, not having to do it all ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I really respect. I mean, there's a lot I respect about you guys. You guys have got a great marriage, great family, and you're you're following Jesus's pattern of multiplying yourself and, and multiplying disciples and leaders, hmm. and doing a great job raising up, putting people in the ministry or leadership, whether it's professional ministry or not. That sure. doesn't really matter so much. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I wanted to ask you, like. What coming out of COVID, there's a there's a lot that's happened. I mean, I think in terms of leadership, leadership is under fire. Mm-hmm. Ministry in, in particular has a super high attrition rate for any number of reasons. Yeah. It's just you guys have been in the ministry for three or four decades now, nineties. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, probably yeah. going into your fourth decade. How do you overcome feelings of discouragement, feelings of like, this isn't going well, I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. You know, can you share about a time that was challenging? How, how, what's your approach? How do you pick yourself up by your bootstraps? Yeah. Okay, I'll share this one. Um, well, I heard you say at the last conference I attended, Rob, that you fired yourself many times over the years and then rehired yourself the next day. And I thought, gosh, I guess I've done that too. (laughs) And it is like, nobody trained us for COVID ministry. Like, you know, I was trained for the ministry, not for COVID ministry. And I think, you know, in, in, in talking with different brothers during that time, I think we all felt that like... What is this? Right. What are, am I doing anything? Right. Am I yep. effective? Um, the the brother who leads our campus ministry, Armin Day, who's amazing, mm-hmm. would call me multiple times. I haven't, I'm not raising anyone up. I feel totally ineffective. And, you know, I'm like, I don't think anyone is right now. So I think we need a little bit of perspective. <laughs> right. But there is uh, very real moments of real lows. Um, I think depressive moments mm-hmm. I've felt. Um, disconnected moments um you know who's going to come back um how are they going to come back in what condition are they going to come back um i want to set goals for my ministry i'm not even sure where i'm at with my church how do i how do i do that and and even last night it was funny last night was absolutely amazing i mean the fellowship it was just natural like we didn't start until i'm 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 a stickler for being on time we i was like tonight we're just gonna (laughs) let people fellowship for a while it was awesome but I could also tell there's an apprehension. There's like people forget how to fellowship. Mm-hmm. Like they forget how to give. Um, they forget how important church is. And, and, you know, and then they come back and they realize and, 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 and feel it again. So I think for me, I, I don't know. I mean, I've struggled with some pretty low moments um, feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm not good at what I do. Or maybe the time that we've gone through has discredited leadership. I think what I've seen most of all from a cultural perspective is that 
people people have rightly questioned a lot of things, mm-hmm. but then what what tends to happen is that they lump, they've lumped the church or the ministry in there as well and are becoming cynical of that. Right. And I think that's so sad um, and unfortunate. I understand it, but I don't think it's right. Um, and so I've just had to go back to, for me personally, do I feel called to the ministry? Mm-hmm. And that's always been the kind of the the the, the question. Like, do I feel called to the ministry by God? Um, we've been through some hard times in, in the 2000s. And, you know, we watched a lot of people um, step away from the ministry. And I had to ask myself then, am I called to the ministry? Did God, do I feel that calling? And maybe has that call ended? I mean, and, and for me, it, it's never, you know, until someone convinces me otherwise, uh, God has called me to this. Yeah. And so if he's called me to this, it's kind of like that Elijah moment. He's going to provide that raven with the food. Like he'll provide what I need. I need to be in touch with where I'm at. I need to be really, really clear about what I'm feeling. I need to be open and get the help I need. Um, but, and, and, and I found that when I've done that, what I expect to receive, especially from people, is a lot of, you know, oh, get it together and come on, what are you doing? And 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 I've I've received so much love and grace and encouragement mm-hmm. and hey, you're awesome. And you know, even when I don't feel awesome, and and so I've just seen uniquely my need for God's provision, and then my need for brothers and sisters that can relate and that can be honest with me. Um, but, but I can be my, my own worst critic. And oftentimes I just need to be encouraged. And, and when I'm discouraged, that's not what I'm looking for. You know, when I need help, that's not what I'm asking for it. I mean, that's when I'm not asking for it. So I don't know if that's, you know, like any, any great epiphany, but I think it's just a reminder that some of those things that we really know deep down inside get tested in a time like COVID. Do I really believe this? Right. Am I really getting this? I I totally agree, Josh. And I think it's, whether you're getting a paycheck from a church or not, I I, I should have prefaced that. I mean, I supported myself leading a planting for eight years in in real estate. And it's just leadership in general, spiritual leadership. But I I think it's under fire. Yeah. And many people are just like, hey, I don't want to take care of anybody else. I just, you know, I'm just going to take care of myself. And Mm. it's, it's a real real challenge and, and I think we've all felt the, the pressure yeah um, and yet uh, it's just, I, I feel right now more than ever that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this motorcycle crossing is like small churches small ministries the church in general this this is what the world needs. Yeah. Community. That's right. Yeah. I need people in my life. I Absolutely. need, I can't just do it over zoom. You know, I, <laughs> I, God's plan is awesome. Hmm. And yeah. We need encouragement now more than ever. Stacy, how, how would you answer the question? Um, well, I don't hear my thoughts. I'm not sure. I think that people need to be heard. We've been isolated for so long and like Josh shared, you shared Rob, that it's different over Zoom. You're not face to face. You don't always catch all the, you know, voice inflections and facial expressions. And I just, I think all of us are feeling a lot. And I think when you come together and you listen and you hear and, and validate feelings, not sin, but, you know, validate the way people are feeling and talk about how to work through it. Um, 
I know. I think that's that's where people want to be. I don't know. I look at memes all the time on Facebook, and you know, one was talking about some someone's cell phone went off in church, and the person got scolded by the preacher, and everyone stared and gave an ugly glare, and then that guy was discouraged, went to the bar, and broke his glass, <clears throat> and then everyone's like, "Oh, are you okay?" Helped him clean it up and comforted him. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." Um, we that's got to be our hearts and our leadership coming out of COVID. You know, right. how can how can we help? What can we how can we listen? Not again, not um, validating or affirming anyone's sin, but we all have feelings and we've all been in low places. And I think when we're heard and we feel valued and, and directed, and there's that community, um, because of God, not just a social club, but because of God and because of Jesus, we're inspired to give. I think people in their heart of hearts want to help and they, they love to, um, they just, you have to have your bucket full before you can fill someone else's bucket. So I think that's kind of my, um, kind of what I'm thinking as we come back together is like, how can I help fill people's buckets? How can I encourage them? How can I help them to feel heard and validated? And this is the place they want to be. This is where God is and where they're going to get the love and the grace that, that they need at this time. It's, it's been crazy. We're probably going to do a series. I mean, we've talked about this now coming out of COVID because we just feel like there's a part of this that, you know, people need to be taught again mm-hmm. what, you know, what, what this is about, what right. this is mm-hmm. like. I mean, being put on pause for a year and a half, it's, it's, it's hard. And I think as a, as a leader, my, my probably where I can tend toward is, is being sinful in the sense that I can be critical and, you know, look at people and go, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't right. you doing that? Um, but I think if, if what Stacey's saying is right, and, and most people, by and large, their hearts are wanting to do what's right, right, then my job as a church leader is to really meet them there and help teach them again. And I think that's going to be needed in a lot of our churches in the fall or you know, in the days ahead, is let's just talk again about you know the basics of our Christianity, really affirming um, our love for one another, teaching each other how to you know, be devoted to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and, and to prayer. And, and we're doing that right now in our church. Our, our whole summer theme is focused on, oh, the places you'll pray and, you know, posting um, the places we're praying and praying more in our fellowship and praying more with our small groups. And just as we come back together, we're going to get centered on God first. Right. And it seems basic, but, um, you know, as we take surveys in our church and find out where people are at, it's just, it's taking a toll. That's the bottom line. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, you know. One thing that uh, the church in Tucson is doing is we're going through Kit Cummings' book, 40 Days of Prayer. Oh, wow. And I hired him to preach or teach our church on midweeks. Yeah. And it's it's a great book. It's a little tiny book, like a little devotional book with like a reading every day. But I've been going through it. I'm on like day 10, and it is awesome. Wow. I mean, I just felt, just like you said, reconnecting with God reestablishing spirituality in the congregation mm-hmm. right. for myself it's important but also i knew that would be really important coming out of covid right but i've been going through this book and, and the the thing that couple things i've learned from it one waking up every morning and getting on your knees first thing mm-hmm. that's a new habit that pam and i started from the book and number two 
looking for God's miracles, being mm-hmm. like putting your antenna up and being aware mm-hmm. of how he's working. Yeah. And, and that's been my prayer is, God, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Awesome. You open the eyes of my heart. Yeah. Let me see your power. Yeah. And it has really been working. Wow. And I've just been seeing how he's open, even, you know, just being able to run into you guys and being, you know, just little things sure. like this. You go, that's that's what he talks about in the, in the, in the class is that, you know, that's God. Um Getting involved in this world, mm. those are those miracles, and yeah. seeing it as a miracle, it's it's been really exciting. So, can we borrow that idea? Can we do that? <laughs> of course, I'm, I'm very happy. Last night they started, and I heard really great feedback. And awesome! This guy is an amazing, amazing man, and so. Anyway, I'm thrilled about that. Couple miscellaneous things. I want to I want to go back. One thing that Josh, you've uh, always impressed me with is you're a great recruiter. Like you've used summer interns a lot on your campus you you're doing it now in los alamos and santa fe how do you do it like what's your what's your method i have not done a great job of that how have you gotten people to come out for temporary missionary work we um when we moved here we actually were in a place as a church where um there was there was a good amount of money that had been saved and so we thought the first thing we want to do we had like six college students i think it was we, we got to get someone out here to lead this campus ministry so <laughs> we went to the board you know gave this presentation um put it on disciples today got the money we got zero Nothing. applicants <laughs> <laughs> no one <laughs> and we were so discouraged it was like oh my gosh what are we going to do here and and then, you know, just we just realized we've got to do it. We have to do this. We, we can't, you know, we, we can't pass this up. And so um, we tap shoulders. <laughs> we just did it. You know, we, we, we said, okay, we're going to. And as we got involved with the lives of students, we had awesome students. Mm-hmm. And so that was a real blessing, like really a blessing. There was um, a great sister who went into the ministry at one point, um, a couple of the brothers that went into the ministry. So we, we just started meeting with them and doing what we knew how to do in the campus. And that was kind of our, in our DNA. And we were good at that. But then we, we, we realized that we were so small and that that was all they had seen. We, we thought we've got to have, okay, if we can't have an intern paid, we're going to use all that money and we're going to have a summer internship program. We had connections in different places. So we had people come from El Paso and, and Los Angeles that first summer. And mm-hmm. um, I think maybe Phoenix or Denver, I can't remember, but we brought together a group of six to eight kids. And then we toured them around the state. We went to every campus. Well, not every campus, but three or four campuses that didn't have any church. And just, you guys got a dream. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to see what, what's out here. And then um, as a result of that, that one first internship, um, one of the brothers, Armin, I, I mentioned him earlier, um, met one of the sisters that came out from LA and they hit it off. And uh, now they're married and been married five years, lead our campus ministry. Um, and so we just did, we did that the first few years, but we used up all that money. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we, we got creative one year. We did a volunteer one. I think, you know, churches do that. Um, but it's been a few years since we've done it. And I think, again, coming out of COVID, we were like, we've got to do this again. Like, we've got to get some. And I, I'm not sure. I think based on my research, and my research is always very faulty, I think there's like four summer internship programs around the country this year. So we're kind of lucky that we didn't have a lot of competition. Yeah. Um, 
and and we we really got some amazing kids that were interested in this part of the country. I think the the culture, the the native culture, and the Hispanic culture kind of converging here. Um, the beauty of northern New Mexico is just basically southern Colorado mm-hmm. on steroids there, <laughs> um, and this unique church opportunity to to not just be on campus but do some other things. And so um, yeah, I, I just think that we've seen what it's done for our church, even a church of 120, let's say, to bring in eight interns for for eight to 10 weeks, there's a there's an energy it brings in a time in the church when I think there typically is a lull because right. it's summer and vacation and things are, it keeps some momentum going, even on our campuses, we'll reach out to people and then we'll have, we'll have a launching point for the fall. Uh, there's just things it does that have been super beneficial and, and the money that's gone into it has far outweighed. Um, but even, even other interns, I think. Um, yeah, well, ahead. I was just gonna say too, I think, um, the first internship, or I don't know if it was the second, we had, I think churches are um, hesitant to send their kids to another church to do an internship because they're afraid these kids aren't going to come back. And I think, you know, we felt that way too. I mean, it's happened. But one thing that we are convinced and, you know, have convictions about is, no, these kids are not allowed to stay. It is an internship. And when you're done, you're going back to bless your home church with anything that you may have learned here. And I think that that kind of people feel more secure and safe doing that, knowing, okay, if I send my kid to this internship, they're not going to stay. They are going to come back. And then also for our church to see, to get inspired and to see here's, here's where my dollar is going. It's just, you can't, put a price on that for them to hear last night, the interns sharing, and then they really get to see where their money's going and they get to experience it. I just, um, I I don't know. I think that has something to do with, oh, okay, we're going to get trained. I think Josh has a reputation of training. And so, um, the word spreading. (laughs) That's great. What advice would you give to to a person who's listening who wants to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and and really wants to make a difference? Like a college student or anybody? Anybody. Well, I always... I'm stumped on that one. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) I caught me off guard. I just always think like, what's, what do you want to leave behind with your family and your friends? What, what are they going to say about you? And what's God going to say, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. Like we never know when it's going to be our last day. And, you know, are we really in it for the comfort of this life or are we, you know, is this world not our home? So I don't know. I think for a college student, it's it's one summer. Go do something for one summer. Go to a Hope Corps. Go to an internship. For a family, a little bit different. But I really, I want, I don't want my kids to see comfortable Christianity. They can go to any church and see that. I want them to see people, their parents that love God and are, are willing to sacrifice and be uncomfortable for God. So that's that's what I would say. And be wise and get a lot of advice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess the, the, the one piece of advice I would say to that is, is just to, to, to really ask yourself, are you kingdom minded? Mm. Um, and be kingdom minded first, because I think that if you live that way, when you look back, I don't think you'll have regrets. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really, really difficult in the world we live in, especially 
in the Western world we live in to embrace, like, I'm going to be kingdom minded first, not culture minded, not America minded, not politically minded, although all those things are part of our lives. I'm going to be kingdom minded first. And that's what, that's what I want to pursue. And so every decision I make, every big thing I'm thinking about is, is, you know, does it glorify God and is it going to build up the kingdom? Um, that that's my advice because I think, you know, and we love to have fun and there's bucket list items, you know, we're inspired by your ride here. I'm thinking, what am I doing? Um, and, and, you know, I don't want to look back and go, Oh, I wish I'd done that or that. But, but I think that if you, if you have that mentality, I think you won't have regrets. Right. Yeah. Well, Josh and Stacy, thank you so much for joining me on the program today. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. <laughs> thank you for your it's hospitality. Great to be with you. It's it so is good to see you. Awesome to, yeah. to be with you. And I want to ask you one question: Are you guys coming to the Climb Conference in December? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yep. We're there. We're there. We can't wait. That is exciting, and and you know that's really one of the things I'm most excited about this year is talking to people like you that are that are planting churches and interested in missionary work, leading small churches, trying to find new ways to, to do things. And if you're listening today, I want to invite you to the 2021 CLIMB Conference. It's going to be in Dallas, Texas from December 2nd through 5th. And you can register at robskinner.com. I've got a CLIMB tab that you can look at, robskinner.com. But it's going to be an amazing time of encouragement. There's going to be amazing speakers, tons of classes. The first day on Friday is all geared towards the leader's spiritual health. Mm. It's a whole day dedicated to coming out of COVID and getting stronger than you've ever been. All the classes are going to be dedicated to that. And then on the second full day, Saturday, it's the ministry's the ministry plan, the goals, planning, how to have a plan. And and every person who comes is going to come away with a complete curriculum and plan for 2022. So when you leave that conference, you're you're going to have in your hands material that will propel you into 2022. Awesome. And not to mention, you're just going to be around future leaders, small group leaders, Bible talk leaders, small church leaders who are really fighting the good fight. And so I hope to see you there. Go to robskinner.com. Find find out. Register today. It's going to be awesome. Can I say something about sure, that? Sure, go ahead. I, I, I would, I don't know who's listening to all this, but I would equally encourage, strongly encourage people to go to this. We went, well, I went last year. Um, kind of not sure even what I was walking into or um, if I should even be there. I remember telling you that over lunch one day and I was blown away. It was one of the best conferences I'd ever attended. Um, It was so need meeting for where we were at, for where so many people were at that attended. I think a lot of people thought, man, I wish so-and-so was here. And um, if you're listening and and find a way to get to this, and if you're listening and you're already going, find someone to bring. It's just... It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. I'm so thankful that the Dallas Church is going to sponsor it. And so we've got plenty of room and resources. It's going to be an amazing time. Look forward to seeing you at Climb. Yeah, Yeah. I'll be there. Thanks, Rob. Thanks again. Yep. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.